thank you, uh, Brother Howard, for that introduction. And um, as I was sitting here ahead of these sessions and thinking about the people gathered here, I began wondering how many relationships would be represented in this group. And I'd like for you to think about your own relationships. And I'd like for you to think about what is the best relationship you have or have had. And why would you rate it so highly? What was there about the relationship that blessed you, changed you? And now think the other direction. Uh, what relationship has been most troublesome for you? And why was it so? We're going to be looking at the subject of relationships in these opening sessions. And um, this session, this first one, we'll be looking at foundation for relationships. As has already been said, there was a time when I did mason work. When I was probably a late teenager, I remember uh, we were putting in a foundation for a house uh, came to the basement hole and went to put in the footer and uh, we did, did that one day, came back the next day to lay the blocks. And we had seen already that there was something different about this basement. There was moisture uh, in the basement, which uh, happens sometimes, but um, we uh, noticed particularly, I think it was the second day, we were working there, the there was a dozer on a neighboring lot, an adjoining lot, and we were very uh, well able to feel the vibrations of that machine as we were working, and we said, you know, what, what's going on here? And we came back the second day, the footer was in, there was, uh, like I say, a bit of moisture there, so uh, we uh, had one guy stand at one end of the basement on the footer and the, another at the other end, and when the guy at the one end would jump, we could see a bit of movement uh, at the other end in the water. And uh, we said, something is wrong here. We talked to the contractor, and he said, uh, don't worry about it. He said, put it up. And he was building uh, more low-end type of houses, and so um, we went ahead and laid the blocks. And um, we knew something was wrong here. And before we finished laying the blocks, we already were able to see cracks in our uh, block work. And uh, it was not our problem. Uh, uh, we knew how to lay blocks. And uh, the contractor, we told him about it, we showed him, and he said, oh, don't worry about it, it'll be all right. And he called in the carpentry crew, and they began framing the house. And I don't remember how long it went, but the house was uh, basically up, uh, structurally, uh, before finally the contractor came to and said, uh, this something is wrong here, we've got to stop this. And eventually they said that there were 
uh, cracks in the walls enough that they could actually put their, uh, stick their hand in. And uh, uh, what was the problem was down underneath. This lot had some years before been filled in. And um, it was in an area that, uh, in, in uh, that area, we called it muck. Uh, I don't know how to describe muck. Muck in our area there had, was very black soil, but there were sections that were bog. And some sections of the bog were almost bottomless. Well, this was close to that area and had been filled in, and underneath was this muck. And so the contractor called in a dozer, and I, they pushed this house in and, and uh, never did build it. Foundations. We all are building relationships. The question is how. It's not whether. We all have relationships. But how are we building, and what is our foundation? I want to talk about about foundations, but I want to think about our relationships first, and I have a quote here from Harold Freer in his book, um, Two or Three Together. Freer is a Quaker, but he asked this question, what is our most imperative need? And he answers it. It is the need for relatedness, the need to love. We are lonely for ourselves, for our neighbors, and for our God. Our unhappy behavior roots in our, in our ability to love. By love, we mean a capacity for the experience of concern, responsibility, respect, and understanding of other persons, as well as an intense desire for the growth of the other person. That we must be brethren is the fundamental law of our being. Now, always when we read, it is good for us to keep our thinking caps on and, and evaluate. And I ask you, do you agree with Mr. Freer that we must be brethren is the fundamental law? Fundamental means foundational, root, underneath, kind of underpinning. What is the fundamental law of our being? I... It could be that uh, when he wrote this book, he was like many preachers are, who when they're on a topic, um, that becomes the most important thing. And so I'm going to give him a bit of grace here, but I'm going to suggest that he would have worded this better to say a fundamental law. I'm in agreement that relatedness is a deep human desire and a deep human need. We don't function well in isolation. God intended for us to be connected and to build solid relationships. But my belief is that there are other things more fundamental to who we are. And so I would like to think with you about three relationships to enable us to move toward foundation. When we talk about relationships this week, we think about relationships, we readily think about our relationships with others, our interactions. And generally, in our interactions, we want people.
peace. We want enjoyment. We want connectedness. We want that relatedness. We want our relationships to be characterized by love, by goodwill. We don't enjoy conflict. Well, most of us don't. Uh, occasionally, I have run across people that I think seem to thrive on it, but generally, we, we want peace. We, we're uncomfortable when there's conflict, when there's disagreement. We, we work toward somehow resolving that. We want the absence of conflict, and, and we want this sense of well-being and peace in our relationships. And it's one of the things that we find enjoyable about solid relationships is that that affirmation that we receive from each other, that, that sense of well-being and peace being together, the enjoyment of that. Well, how do we know how to have that kind of peace? Good relationships, how do we know that? Does God care about our relationships? Is he interested in, in us having peace with each other, in having the kind of relationships that are upbuilding, that are satisfying, that are enriching? Does God care about how human beings interact with each other? Does he care about how teachers interact with their fellow teachers? About how teachers interact with their students? How they interact with their board? Does God care about relationships? Well, the answer is obvious. He regularly gives instructions to us. Old covenant, new covenant. He gives instructions for our relationships. God does care. In fact, the Ten Commandments are filled with instructions for relationships. God says, do this, don't do this in relationship. God knows what he's talking about. God understands relationships and his directions are always right. It's not just Christians who are interested in this subject of relationships. Many people today are studying relationships, thinking about relationships. It seems to me almost ironic that we have two things going on in our culture. One, it seems, is a, a, an increasing relational disintegration in our culture disconnectedness and simultaneously there is an increase in interest in that whole subject and so in our colleges universities there are studies done on relationships how do you how to get along with people and and we've approached this uh, as we do other things we do a study of a hundred relationships or a thousand relationships and we observe very carefully those relationships and we conclude after studying these relationships that it is generally better in relationships not to shout at each other. We've observed that in 999 out of a thousand it doesn't work. Now I've probably overdone it here okay. Our observations are, are, are good. It's good for us to observe. We should be observant in relationships. We, we should study. And I'm not saying that all conclusions of those who study carefully are, are simplistic. I'm not saying that. 
we can learn from careful observation, but when it comes to relationships and how to have peace with others, how to have solid upbuilding relationships, we need more than observation. We have what we call revelation. God has given us instructions for how to build relationships. When we disregard God's instructions, we do so to our own damage, to our own hurt. When God gives instructions, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, those are interpersonal directions from God because God knows that's how things are. And it's just like people disregarding the laws of gravity or electricity or aerodynamics or any other of the ways God has designed things. We, we can't disregard those. We're wise to work in cooperation with gravity, to, to learn how to function well with the way things are. Sometimes in our relationships, we tend to think we know better. I, I, can, I can do this, and, and I, I know it's not, it's not right, but I can do that. In fact, for me, this is, this is better than doing what God has said. Do you ever find yourself in relationships wondering if, do I really have to do that? Is it, is it do, I, do I really need to be confidential about this information? God gives us these directions because that's how things are, and that's how our relationships are built wisely. I told you a story about a house that was built and then destroyed because it was built on a wrong foundation, poor foundation. Houses are one thing, people. Suddenly when we start thinking about relationships and people, we're, we're dealing with things that are more significant. And so I think of a girl I went to school with. She was in the same grade as I was. And I remember in high school, she developed a relationship with a young man, uh, not from our school. And she began to withdraw from us and eventually dropped out of school, got married, and uh, I kind of lost track of her. But a number of years later, I met her sister and we were talking and, and kind of catching up and I asked her, uh, how, how is Ruth, where, where is she? And her sister's eyes dropped and said, well, uh, she's divorced. And I have thought as I contemplated that young lady and her relationships, she was in her building that relationship, she was violating the instructions that God has given for how unmarried young men and women should interact. And by violating those instructions, she set herself up for the 
collapse of a relationship, a destruction of a relationship that God has said we're not to destroy. In some ways, we could think of God's instructions as, as a building code. Those of us who have been involved in building, sometimes in, uh, we wonder who those people are who make the building codes and have they ever actually been out there on the job. They sit behind a desk and they have no clue what they're putting us through for this idea they got in the office. Well, I would say this, that if we think of the scriptures as a, only as a building code, we've got an impoverished view of the scripture. That's not all that they are. And yet, what God has said about relationships, he says because he knows what he's doing. He understands human beings and how we are to relate. And I do want to tell you that I, I think it's right for us to think about God's directions to us as right. As the psalmist did, Psalm 119, verse 128, the psalmist says, therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. God is right. God knows what he's saying. He knows about relationships. Well, we think about relationships, again, we're going to be talking mostly about that, this first kind of relationship, our relationship with others. But what about your relationship with yourself? Do you have a relationship with yourself? It's probably kind of a, uh, uh, something of a contradiction here to talk about my relationship with myself, but I ask you a question, are you getting along with yourself? You know, this is even kind of hard to illustrate, uh, but uh, relationships. Do you, do you get along with yourself? Do you ever find yourself arguing with yourself? Do you ever find yourself going back and forth and not at peace with yourself? Have you ever heard somebody facing a decision and they said, no, I didn't do it. I just couldn't be at peace with that. What do we mean? Sometimes interpersonal conflict is the spill out of unresolved inner conflict. Sometimes we're not getting along with one another because we're not at peace in here. Have you ever interacted with people? They come into the schoolroom, maybe, a fellow teacher or whatever, and you say good morning, and they say good morning, and the way they say it does not sound good at all, and you say a little more, and they say, what are you after me for this, morning, this, this early in the morning? Or, and, and you wonder, what's going on here? And they have carried something into the relationship. And so you back away. You don't want interpersonal conflict because getting too close, interpersonal interaction, because getting too close with, to this person brings conflict. They carry their inner conflict into the relationship. Now, I don't know if I'm right here, but sometimes it seems that inner peace can be more elusive and more difficult than interpersonal peace, at least in some situations. I'm also going to suggest, and I, I, again, I could be wrong in this, but I'm going to suggest that in the right context, inner peace is more important than interpersonal peace. Now, if you if, if, you hear, if, the, if you stop here and don't listen to anything else, then, then what you just heard is, is wrong, okay? 
because it's only in a particular context that that is true. Some years ago, I read a, picked up a paper, and I read uh, morning news about a 15-year-old, I think it was a 15-year-old or 16-year-old girl who had, um, the evening before, she had taken gasoline, poured it on herself, and lit herself on fire, and had died. That's a horrible way to die. Why would a 16-year-old girl do such a thing? What I, as I read the account, what I found so amazing was the testimony of her friends and the things that were said about her. She seemed to be a very well-adjusted girl. They could not understand why would she do this. She was a class officer, as I remember, in her school. Uh, she, her parents talked about what a good girl she was. Her classmates just said she was such a nice girl. Why would a, a, a girl who has good relationships do such a thing? The only thing we can conclude is that in spite of the good interpersonal relationships, there was unresolved inner conflict. Something inside of her was not resolved and she could no longer live with or felt she could no longer live with that conflict. Third relationship I'd like to talk about is now our relationship with God. In our interpersonal relationships we want peace. We want to get along. We want the relationship to be characterized by love and goodwill and encouragement and interaction that builds us, that enables us. In our own hearts, we want to be able to walk through the day, to live the day with peace. We don't like to carry around inside of us unresolved conflict. It makes us miserable. And now, in our relationship with God, I'm going to suggest again that our desire is for peace. God calls us out of conflict with himself into peace with him. We were, as we heard this morning, at one point we were afar off. We were estranged. We were alienated from the life of God. And God calls us back into relationship with him. And what I'd like to suggest this morning now is that that is foundational. That relationship is foundational. If we are going to have good interpersonal relationships, we must build upon the solid foundation of peace with God. That relationship is foundational to all other relationships. And I'd like to spend the rest of the time here this morning thinking about our relationship with God as the foundation. Let's go back then to Freer, to the quote we had earlier, that we must be brethren is the fundamental law of our being. And I'm going to suggest that we must, sorry, that we must be reconciled to God, that we must 
be at peace with him is the fundamental law of our being. It is the, it is there at the heart. It's the foundation. Think with me about these three levels of relationship now in the life of Jesus. Did Jesus have relationships with people, with others? Yeah. Did he always have peace in those relationships? No. Sometimes he was in conflict. He died in, in, in a situation of terrible relationships. He was hated. He was despised. Did Jesus always have peace inside? Did he always have inner peace? Was he always at peace with himself? Well, now here we, we start struggling a little bit because we get a little, you know, was he at peace? Wasn't he? It's not a trick question. Think with me about Jesus in Gethsemane. He struggled. He struggled with accepting something that was extremely difficult. It was a huge struggle for him. He wrestled and sweated, and he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. There was inner turmoil. It may not be exactly like all the inner turmoil we have as a result of sin, but he struggled there. So Jesus sometimes struggled in relationship with people. It was not always peace. There was conflict. Sometimes there was conflict within him. What was his relationship like with his father? If I understand the life of Jesus... Jesus made peace with his father the number one priority when it comes to peace. He would be at peace with him even if it brought him into conflict with people. He would be at peace with the father even if it took him through unimaginable conflict inside. If we're going to build solid relationships, if you're going to interact with your fellow teachers in ways that are healthy, that are long-term upbuilding, you must build on this foundation. We don't start with saying, how can I get along with my fellow teachers? We don't start with saying, how can I resolve this conflict? I don't like to have this inner struggle all the time. We start with saying, God, how can I live in harmony with you? How can I walk with you? How can I build relationship with you? I find that many times teaching is something that we take up as young people. It's something we take up as a calling. It is, some that, it, it, it is something that, it's a work that some will continue through life. And they are teachers as older people. And that's good. I also find that in our walk with God, it's a journey. And I look back at that journey when I was 17, when I was 20, when I was 25, when I was 30. And I see journeying along the way and fresh revelation and understanding of who God is in ways that almost felt like conversion 
again. Do you follow what I'm saying here? Especially those of you who are older. When we're young, we have understandings of God that need correction and that need expansion and that need revision. And I'm so grateful that God doesn't call us to needing to know it all at once. But I am hoping that in this session you will gain something of a yearning to deepen that relationship with him. Let's talk about <clears throat> our relationship with God. Just point you to Colossians 3, verse 15, before we leave this. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You want peace with others? Yeah. You want inner peace? Yes. But let the peace of God rule. Let it be that rule is actually the word that the word means to, to arbitrate or to, to call the shots, to, to be the final decision maker. In our vernacular today, maybe we might say the umpire or the, the referee. Let the peace of God call the shots and say, this is right. This is what you must do. This is what you must not do. If it brings me into peace with him, it is right. If it creates conflict with him, I will not do it, even if it would buy me some peace with people. Let the peace of God call the shots in your life. Let's think now about our relationship with God. How do we build relationship with him? Relationship with God, I'm saying here, is foundational. This is the foundation on which we, want, we will build our relationships with others. What does God want in relationship with me is a question we should be asking. What does it look like? What does it mean to be to live in relationship with God? I find that in my own life as well as others, the, well, early for me as a, as a young person, I gave my life to the Lord young, and I didn't know what, in some ways, didn't know what I was doing. I knew I wanted to do what was right. But I had a tumultuous and troublesome number of years following that. And at one point, didn't know for sure what I was going to do. I was doing things behind my parents' back and listening to music that I knew I, didn't, I shouldn't be listening to. And there, there was just a lot of struggle in my life. And eventually, I, I was 17, I remember, when I finally decided I'm going to follow God. I made a commitment that I'm going to follow him. Even then, I didn't know, and I struggled in some of the years after that, knowing even if I was a Christian, I, I didn't know sometimes. As I've interacted with others, many people go through that stage. What does it mean to relate to God? They hear others talking about their relationship with God. Maybe hear others saying, you know, I was reading my Bible the other day, and God just spoke to me. It was like so clear. And you wonder... Why can't I have experiences like that? Is this for everybody else? Am I dead? Am I even a Christian? What does God want in relationship? We're taught, and I think with good intention sometimes, that we should have our devotions, okay? Have your devotions, and so we have our devotions, and we set aside and we read. We're going to read a certain amount every day, and, and it gets like medicine. We, we take it because we know we're supposed to, it'll help us feel better, but... It's chalky and a little, you know what medicine is like? It's uh, something we get over quickly and try to go on. 
I'm going to suggest that God wants, I'm going to say three things that God wants just to help us frame and think about relationship with him. God wants me to love him. If your way of thinking about God is, and what God wants from you is, God wants me to have devotions every day, then let me expand that for you. God wants you to love him. One day, a lawyer, an expert in the law, approached Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew 22. And Jesus said, you know what he said? Verse 37, he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. He followed that by saying, this is the first and great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. What does that mean? How many commands are there in the scripture? Uh, Old Testament rabbis actually came up with 613. That, that, they said there were that many commands. I think that's right. Uh, anyway, I heard it, that figure. Uh, now I don't remember. That's off the cuff. Um, it could have been promises. No, there were more promises. Anyway. 600, let's say 600 commands. What's it like for Jesus to single it out and say, this is the first and great commandment? Those of you who are parents, or those of you who are teachers, have you ever said to a child, I'm going to be gone here for a little bit. Here's some things I want you to do while I'm gone. One, two, three, four. Okay, but... Be sure that, you single one of them out, be sure that you do this. And you come back and they've done all the others and they didn't do the thing you said. Be sure to do that. And you will find that in spite of them doing the other things, they disappoint you because the one thing you said to do, they neglected. Jesus singles us out. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. It's the number one thing. It's the first thing that he wants from us. He wants us to love him. And we struggle with that. How do we do that? How do we love him? I'll just frame this again. Notice that it is couched as a command. It's a command, thou shalt love. And in some ways, you, you think about this, it feels almost like a tension there. How can you command love? Can you, don't you destroy it if you command it? I am married. I've been married for almost 37 years. And my I didn't get married by going to this beautiful lady and saying, thou shalt love me. Okay. I know Barbara well enough that if I'd have done that, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked. Uh, why is it command? I'll leave that. I don't have time to unpack that, but it's a command to love. What does it mean to love? Well, I have lived in love with Barbara for 37 years, and I know that love is more than a feeling. It can be many times filled with wonder. But it has taken commitment. A commitment that says, I am with you no matter what. God actually calls us to a level of commitment that is above the lifelong commitments that we make in marriage. This is a love above all loves. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. You know, actually, nowhere else in the scripture, it, we're never told actually to love our wives with all our heart. I say it to my wife, love you with all my heart, but 
We're never told I should do that. I'm not going to quibble there. I'm just going to say it. It's, we're called to love God with all our heart. It's a love above all loves. Well, how did I build a relationship with Barbara? How did I love her? Well, I spent time with her. We talked. Before we were married, we were building this relationship. We had the problem of being separated by a thousand miles. How do you build a relationship separated by a thousand? Well, these days you've got email and texting and whatever, but in those days we didn't, and we wrote letters. We counted them after we were married, and both of us had written over 200 letters to each other in the course of our dating. When I'd get a letter from Barbara, how do you think I'd view that letter? My mom says, uh, John, you got a letter? And I'd say, um, oh, well, that's neat. I'll try to get to it if I'm not too tired tonight. And if I am, I'll get it in the morning. I'd take that letter. I'd go off in private, and I'd read that letter. And I'd reread it. I'd read between the lines. I was getting to know somebody. It was not the letter. And in fact, we got rid of the letters. We were afraid somebody else would find them. Uh, but it was not the letters. The letters represented a being, somebody I wanted to learn to know. God has written out something from his heart to us. He's given it to us. We shouldn't look at this as though it is him, but it is a message from him. And we read it, and we reread it, and we read between the lines. Our intent is to learn to know him. We'd spend time with him. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. God also wants us to know him. Loving and knowing are very closely intertwined. You cannot love, really love, the unknown. And so a part of learning to love him is learning to know him. Jesus, in praying toward the end of his life, gives us something of a window into his life work. His life work, he says, Father, I have made you known to these men, to these disciples. I've made you known to them. It was his life work. And he says, and this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Learning to know him. Now, I'm not here going to give you a five-step plan for how to know him. I'm just saying it needs to be a priority. It's what God really wants. He doesn't want to walk with the unknown. He wants us to learn to know him, which means we have to be intentional about it. We live in a world where the system of the world is not geared toward teaching you about God. And we're going to have to go against the flow of much of culture to learn to know him. If we're going to, if we're going to actually learn to know who God is. I don't know how to convey this this morning, folks, but I am saying that learning to know him and loving him with all our heart is the most life-shaping thing that will ever happen to you. You can go to college. You can go to Teacher's Week. You can go to summer term. You can go to get all the degrees you want, but if you don't know him, you will not know how to relate well to your students. You will not have a foundation for building the kind of relationships that are life-impacting. Learning to know him is what does it. And it's good. 
to get instruction, to take courses, to become knowledgeable in your field. But if you don't know him, it becomes barren. It's stubble. It is learning to know him and walking with him that will enrich your life. It will shape you and it will turn you into a life-giving person. This is life eternal that they may know thee, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Learning to know him, loving him, devoted to him with all our heart is a journey. It's lifelong. You don't get there. It's not something you can short, shortcut. You can't just read a book and you know him, even this one. He is a being that we, that we walk in fellowship with. I remember hearing about two ladies who saw the ocean for the first time, and they stood there and their mouths dropped open, and they're just speechless. And the one finally said, look at all that water. And the other one said, yeah, and that's just the top of it. In our acquaintance with God, we sometimes are, are content to be like most beachgoers on the, in the shallows, enjoying the shallows. God wants to launch out. There's an ocean of acquaintance. And I'm saying teachers are busy. Teachers have many things demanding their attention, but don't neglect what will shape you most, what gives you life. It is learning to know him. Your relationships with others will be enriched to the extent that you know him. This is foundational. He also wants us to obey him. I won't spend a lot of time here, but I'm saying it is very clear in the scriptures. We find this. Jesus indicated, no, let me frame this better. I hear today sometimes these being kind of set against each other, obedience to God and loving him, as though... I hear people saying things like, well, the Bible's not a rule book, okay? It's not just a collection of rules. That's true, but be sure that you don't stop there and be careful that you don't take that to say it has no guidance for us. You follow? What, what I hear sometimes almost is like people are, are saying the Bible's not a rule book, and, and which means that I don't have to pay attention to it, okay? It is true. The Bible is not just a rule book. It's intended to lead us to him. But when we come to him, we find that he is God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You don't separate obedience from love. They are entwined. John wrote, hereby we do know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. Which means that I approach God as one who is over me. That's at least one lesson I get from Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. This is not the love of equals. You hearing that? Thou shalt love immediately sets him as God and me as his creature. I ask you this morning, do you love him? Are you committed to him? And you will stay with him no matter what. It is lifelong. It is unconditional. It is set. I want to tell you folks, 
Sometimes in your relationships, sometimes in your life, you will come to junctures where you wonder if God understands you, if God cares about you, if God is really good. The circumstances that you go through in life will sometimes say he's not good. Do you love him and say, no matter what I go through, I'm committed to him, I'm devoted to him. Do you know him? Is your life a journey into him, into continued acquaintance with him? And do you live to do the things that please him? When you love him, you don't resent him telling you to do things. You say, thank you. It's a privilege. Yes, I'll do what you want. You might sometimes find yourself struggling in a garden with something he's asking you to do. By all means, settle it with peace. Not my will, but thine.